Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I am joined by my co-host. I'm Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, MacArthur Grant Fellow. Okay. You're not, are you still dressed as a slutty podcaster like last episode though? No, Josh, today I'm dressed as a kitty cat who will not get off the good chair. <laughs> All right. But maybe a slutty kitty cat. There you go. Slutty kitty cat. Very popular Halloween Very costume. popular. And of course uh, the grant here ties into the grant that may or may not exist in the film we are discussing today. We are indeed uh, discussing that film, uh, which is Murder Party is Jeremy Sonier's first film. And because we've uh, returned to 2007, the year that we talked about in our second season for these couple of Halloween special episodes. And this film, Murder Party, is one that we considered. Um, I think maybe I was the one who who suggested this. And it was probably not under serious consideration because there were so many good options for that first feature slot in 2007 when we ended up talking about Ben Affleck's Gone Baby Gone, which is certainly a more well-known film than Murder Party um, and, and also a better film. And but Josh, let's not confuse this with Ja Rule's film, Murder Party. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Ja Rule. Or I'm sure Anima Jewish Dave's album, Songs in the Key of Murder. All right, so he's much. Plugging, he's plugging his own albums. This guy, unbelievable. There you go. Yeah. Hey, you're you're I, you you opened me up for that. Yeah. You're the you're the firefest of producers. Go on, Josh. <laughs> oh man, that's so harsh. <laughs> so this was, of course, uh, Jeremy Sonier's first film, and the reason that's notable, this movie, um, not necessarily one that that got a lot of attention at the time it was released. And I think people know it more now, but it certainly isn't something that has been retroactively. Um, extensively acclaimed or, or built up necessarily that big a following. But Jeremy Sonier went on to make Blue Ruin and Green Room and Hold the Dark, which are all excellent, excellent films, um, far more serious thrillers than this one that were highly acclaimed. And he is certainly now a major a filmmaker of note in the indie film world. And this was how he got his start with this very, very, very small film that was mostly made with his friends who he had been working, some of whom he'd been working with since he was a kid on little homemade movies. And they decided to just go ahead and make their own film. Um, Wikipedia claims that the budget of this movie was between 190,000 and 230,000. And I'm not sure where the, that figure comes from. Um, this is a movie that is made essentially with no money, with just friends and people helping out and and the the cast and crew like probably laying out their own money for whatever was necessary. Jeremy Sonier along with Chris Sharp who is the main star of this and Macon Blair who is a supporting actor and and has worked subsequently with Jeremy Sonier a bunch of times. Um they were the Lab of Madness troupe and this is a Lab of Madness production. It did it did garner some attention at the time it premiered at the 2007 Slam Dance Film Festival, where it won the Audience Award for Best Feature. And it also played at South by Southwest and at the Fantasia Film Festival, which are some notable festivals in 2007. And it seems to have maybe gotten a small theatrical release, but but very, very small before eventually ending up on DVD. Yeah, like you said, it's a collective of artists, the Lab of Madness, much like 
Ja Rule, Ashanti, and Irv Gotti were murder incorporated. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I'm not even going to plug myself again after that. <laughs> but um, you can tell it's like the hey kids, let's put on a show. Let's find one great location and maybe two other other lo- locations and let's make a movie. Right. And and I think you can admire the ingenuity of that. And there are a lot of movies like that that are put together by a random group of friends who think, let's make a movie. I've seen a lot of these at film festivals and they usually don't turn out that well. And I think even though this movie is very, very rough and it's nothing compared to the later films that Sonier would make, I think you can see a lot of promise here and a lot of talent with these limited resources. And in fact, I'd go so far as to say that's part of the charm of the film is how rough around the edges it is, you know? Yeah, no, I would agree. And I think they they lean into that in in the way that the movie is structured and the fact that the characters are sort of also... Uh, those rough around the edges, uh, outsider art people. And, you know, they managed to incorporate all of that into the into the story of the film. Because this movie didn't get a very extensive release um, and mostly just played film festivals, it was a little tough to find reviews of it. As with our last Halloween movie, Trick or Treat, Variety, in their effort to review every movie that exists, did cover this in their very uh, terse signature style. Um, Dennis Harvey in Variety said, winner of the Audience Award for Narrative Feature at Slamdance, writer-director Jeremy Sonier's debut, Murder Party, is an amusingly over-the-top horror comedy about a milk toast who gets an offer he should have refused. After an hour of entertainingly crass buildup, Pick erupts in a riot of outrageous, quite funny violence that leaves almost no one alive. Punk metal soundtrack is in keeping with Gonzo Tone. So that's, I mean, that's literally, that's how, that's how Variety writes. So um, I'll take one exception to that. He didn't get an invite. He wasn't invited. He didn't get an offer. He found an invitation on the street and went to this party. And that was something that he even said in the movie. He's like, thanks for the invite. And they're like, eh. I mean, he wasn't invited. He went. Well, right. But I mean, he was invited in the sense that, and then maybe this is not explicitly said, but I got the impression that they kind of threw the invitation to the wind uh, with the hopes that someone would pick it up and and come. So he was invited in the sense that, that, that they were inviting someone and he was that someone. <laughs> okay. Yes, they did want someone to show up, Josh. I will agree with that point. Right, right. I mean, he did, it wasn't like he crashed the party and was unwelcome, is what I'm trying to say. Well, whoever was going to show up based on this invitation, which is weird that if you pick up an invitation to something on the ground, you would show up to. I mean, the point is that's the person they're going to murder, hence the murder right. party. Exactly, exactly. And And I think the weirdness of picking up an invitation on the ground and showing up is also sort of part of the point here that he's so lonely that he's willing to do that, that that's, as far as he's concerned, that's getting invited to a party because obviously no one has really deliberately invited him to a party. Poor fella. Yeah, exactly. He is, he's kind of, it's, he's a sympathetic, he's a sympathetic guy. Even his cat doesn't respect him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and Josh, we're talking about rough around the edges. That's Chris Sharp, who I kind of think the fact that he's not per se a great actor makes it even better. I, I, I agree. And I think even though virtually all of the actors in this movie are not really actors and didn't really go on to be 
have acting careers. I think they all fit exactly for the parts that they're meant to play. Yeah, Megan, Megan Blair, as you mentioned, has gone on uh, both. Right. As, yeah. Yes, but for the most part, they are just Jeremy Sonier's friends and his wife. David Lamble in the Bay Area Reporter said, the art school crowd will definitely recognize the poser personalities on display in this black comedy that tips its hat to Scorsese's After Hours. A bachelor whose life has degenerated into a series of well-worn ruts receives a Halloween invitation to an evening of gore that swings wildly between life-changing and life-ending. Director Jeremy Sonier keeps this diabolically clever conceit on track through a nightmarish slice of Brooklyn as daunting and at times as daffy as that which confronted Cary Grant in Arsenic and Old Lace. The script not only ups the ante on horror film conventions, but also pokes fun at youthful paranoia and insecurities. And those are some highbrow references when yeah. comparing this to Cary Grant and Martin Scorsese. What a what a Johnny asshole pants this reviewer is here. Wow. I've, I've watched After Hours recently, and I I would say the only comparison is that it takes place at night <laughs> during one <laughs> night. Like, like screw you, buddy. That's a horrible wow. comparison. Okay, that's yeah. some anger there. I don't like it, Josh. I don't like okay. it. Do a little okay. more work. Put a little effort into your job. All right. I haven't seen After Hours, actually, so I can't I can't comment. I mean, Josh, you're my friend and I know, you know, you're struggling to cobble together an income writing reviews on sites that no one reads. But you do it because you have some type of personal pride and you can't move on with your life. And this guy over here is going to compare this movie to to After Hours. That is an insult to you, sir. As is your assessment of my life. <laughs> but thank you for that. <laughs> Um, uh, not every critic was, I mean, I feel like these, these reviews are all sort of like mildly positive. And, and so on the slightly more uh, negative level, Jay Seaver at eFilm Critic said the execution could be a bit better. It doesn't particularly drag or come off as poorly done, but I kept expecting it to be a bit more something, maybe more funny, maybe more tense, maybe gorier. The movie just seems to be biding its time in the middle, separating the initial surprises from the action and splatter of the end. A few of the characters blur together, and the folks brought in toward the end to increase the body count don't make that much of an impression. There's plenty of black comedy, but it doesn't really go for the throat like it could. And I, I mean, I agree that there are parts that feel like, I don't know if any of this was actually improvised, but there are parts that they that do feel like the filmmakers are like, I don't know, what are we going to do now? But I feel like that's also sort of part of the charm. Yeah, um, I will agree that, uh, man, it's pretty, pretty funny in the beginning. Act one and, you know, when he gets to the party, really funny stuff. And the humor dips uh, in act two almost all the way till act three. And I, I wish they would have kept that level of humor throughout. Yeah, I mean, I think this movie is very funny and certainly far more so than, than Sonya's other films. Not that they don't have moments of humor to them. But it really is more of a comedy than a horror movie. I mean, certainly not scary, but maybe suspenseful at times, I guess. And and I do think there are scenes where it's like the characters are talking. And even though those scenes can be funny and, and entertaining, it does feel like they're sort of filling it out until they get to feature length and that maybe this could have been a 20 minute short, but they wanted mm -hmm. to make a feature film. And so there needs to be more to it. You make a good point that I don't know if you meant to make here, Josh. All but right. one of the things I noticed was so much of the comedy comes from the way he uses the camera 
and the timing and just kind of the reveals of the camera. Like you could see that Sonia was like, had the potential to make great movies just from that. So I thought that was a really, really effective, um, mature and like, um, uh, it showed a real point of view with like, uh, his confidence in his ability to use the camera. Yeah, I agree. I don't, I wasn't necessarily making that point, but I think you're absolutely right. And I think this is the kind of movie that if I had seen it at a festival in 2007, I might've thought, oh yeah, that was, that was pretty entertaining, but I would have definitely thought more like this guy could be going places. And obviously that was true. Um, and I think there is a lot that he demonstrates here with these very, very limited resources that he um, will be able to do when he has larger, uh, larger budgets. So um, I'm assuming, Jason, that you hadn't seen this before. Uh, I had, and I just want to just give an example of what we're talking about. So when the lead character takes off to go to the murder party, the you know he leaves his apartment, and then you see a close up on his face, and he looks so awkward and somewhat terrified and not sure what to do. And they pull back, and a dude is just rapping like three uh, like verses to him on the train, <laughs> like yeah. just really aggressively rapping to him, and he and he just you could tell like that like the uh, the Chris character would just. No, he's like, there's any way I respond is going to get me in trouble here. And I just thought <laughs> reveals like that were great. Um, I had never seen it. I didn't even really know about this movie, but um, I'm really glad I watched it because it uh, sent me on a Sonia journey this weekend, Josh. Oh, well, that I'm glad to hear that because uh, I, I have a, a, a an affinity for this film, but his other films, I think, are fantastic. And I'm glad that this introduced you to his work if you had not experienced it before. And I had seen this movie because I liked his subsequent film so much. I was eager to watch this. And uh, a couple years ago when Hold the Dark, his film came out on Netflix, I wrote an article kind of a background, you know, primer on his previous work. So I'd watched this movie for that and found it again, like I said, it's fun. It's, 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 amusing. It's not great, but it shows you a lot of the promise that he would get to later. And I still had a nice time watching it this time as well. Dave, had you ever seen this one? I hadn't. I hadn't even heard of it. I, I love uh, Sonia's newer work, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to get a chance to go back and see it though. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people, especially over time, have become more familiar with, with Blue Ruin and Green Room and Hold the Dark and maybe aren't aware of this movie, but it's it's not hard to find. So hopefully you know, people will go back to it. I'll say one thing. If you watch this and then look at those subsequent films, like what a jump stylistically, you know, there's really yeah. um, no connective tissue or like, oh yeah, clearly this is the guy who made that. Right. And I think also one of the things was he made this again, and this was a thing that was cobbled together by these friends with every last penny that they had. And it didn't become a big hit or anything like that. And it took, I think, six or seven years for him to then be able to make another movie, uh, during which time I assume he, you know, developed his style and, and you know, maybe learned a, a few things or whatever. So um, absolutely, this is not necessarily one of those movies where you see, oh, Clearly, this guy's signature traits are all in place here for the later, more well-known movies that he made. But uh, anything else on the background here you want to talk about, Jason? Uh, no, you kind of you kind of hit all of it, Josh. Which one is his wife? I didn't know his wife was. Uh, Sky, the uh, the woman who's dressed as a cheerleader who ends up dying 
first because she faints after eating raisins and hits her head on the sharp yeah. object. Because she's yeah, allergic is... to non-organic raisins. Exactly. Very right. specific. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That is that is Sky Sonier, who is his wife. All right. Um, so yeah. And the, the dog who plays the dog, that's his dog. So Ooh, but really? what about the cat then? Yeah, who played Sir Lancelot the cat? Uh, you know, I don't know. I only know the dog's name because it's, I forget what it's for, what it's first name is, but it's last name is credited as Sonia in the credits of the movie. <laughs> Can we just shout out? There's a cat named Sir Lancelot and a dog named Hellhammer. And they did a great job of naming these, uh, animal characters in this film. And I feel like they both fit very well with the character of these, of these animals. Um, so we'll talk more about that and our general thoughts on murder party in just a moment. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this second of our two special Halloween 2007 episodes, we're talking about Jeremy Sonier's debut feature, Murder Party. And Jason, as someone new to Sonier's work, did you have any expectations or ideas going into this movie of what it would be like? I had zero. Like, I was a blank slate, Josh. A tabula rasa, if you will. Um, And... It just started making me laugh almost immediately, you know, with uh, Chris interacting with his cat, Sir Lancelot. And like, I love how they leaned into the awkwardness of everything. And, you know, you have these little montages of him kind of right away, like making his homemade costume or baking pumpkin bread. And just it's just really funny before he gets to the party is just really, really funny. And then um, I thought it Totally changed a little at the party where they're going to murder him, but I still, I just really had fun with this movie. Yeah, I think it is a fun movie and it's very short. And even though it does drag a bit, even despite its its short running time, I, I think it's a lot, it's a lot of fun. And and I, I had fun with it the first time I had fun with it this time. It kind of, you get to the end and it's like, well, this didn't really like amount to much necessarily. But I think it's it's entertaining and it's creative throughout. And, and I do think, again, for a movie that's full of people who weren't really actors and haven't really gone on to become actors, um, the performances are all exactly what they need to be for the characters um, that bring the right amount of humor and uh, mayhem to their characters. So yeah, I had fun with it. I think, you know, when I, when I came to it the first time, I had seen his other films. And so maybe I expected or hoped for something more intense um, as he's made in his other thrillers, which are less comedic, much less comedic and and more uh, yeah, more intense. But um, I think for what it's trying to be, this movie is fun. I really appreciate the relentless mockery of art artists and art students. I think it's it clearly comes from somebody who's familiar with that whole world, I think. He has a voice. Like you could tell right away, like he has a voice, you know, and um, I could see what you're saying, like after watching Blue Ruin and Green Room, where you would want to go back and see this, but like kind of like how we talked about with like Wes Anderson or something, who I know you don't like, but you can tell with Bottle Rocket, he has a voice, right? And, you know, that that style morphs into something way more slick, but you can tell from the early work that the, that this guy has potential. And um, yeah, I, I don't know. I would, I wish they would play this on TV around uh, Halloween more, more often. 
Yeah, I'm sort of surprised that this movie hasn't gotten more of a cult following because it's the kind of thing that genre fans generally get really into. And even if at the time that it was released, nobody really paid attention to it, Sonier has gotten so much acclaim since then that you'd think that all the people going back to this would be really excited and would be sharing it with other people. And I think there is some of that, but there's not as much of that as I would have thought. And like I said, I didn't know about this movie, so it can't be that much because, you know, I didn't know about it. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> if you don't know about a movie, it might as well not exist. Like, what, what's the point, right? So, yeah. you know, we've talked a lot about midnight movies uh, on uh, an awesome movie year. This is a perfect midnight movie. If you had a, a small theater in a college town and you played this at midnight, I think it would be a, it would be a big hit. Yeah, I think so, too. And again, it, it's short. It kind of moves from goofy thing to goofy thing. And uh, it has it has the violence that uh, Sonia is definitely well known for. Uh, the person getting person getting stabbed in the in the skull in the head is, I think, a, a trademark that's in all of his films. And uh, uh-huh. we see that first here. Uh, very much appreciated. That's such a weird trademark. I, it is, but I feel like part of what he does, and especially in his later, more serious films, is to show the really ugly actual consequences of violence. And this is something that's in Blue Ruin a lot, is that if you stab somebody, like A, it's difficult, and B, like the blood just keeps on coming. And that's something we see in this movie as well, especially when, as we mentioned, this the character played by his wife, Sky, uh, passes out and, and gets her head stabbed on a sharp something or other. Hey, Dave. If you were going to mm. murder someone, what method would you choose? I mean, head stabbing is a good, you know, it's a good option. It certainly has style. It does. It seems difficult, though. I feel like something <laughs> something else would be more. Yeah, you got to you got to make sure the person is, you know, not too tall, not too short and mm. not too quick, you know, because if, if someone was coming at you with a, a head stabbing movement, you would probably try to block that or avoid it. That's true. Time, you know, so. Yeah. And one thing I like about this movie, too, is that they fail to murder him in so many different ways. (laughs) I mean, starting from the very beginning, where uh, Macon Macon Blair's character, who is named Macon, uh, is coming at him with an axe that gets caught in a wire. And then they try to dump acid on him, but they've gotten the wrong kind of acid and it's just vinegar. vinegar. Yeah, that's funny. You know, they've got a chainsaw, but the, the cord doesn't go for far enough from the outlet and it becomes unplugged and just, I mean, it's almost like a, like a Bugs Bunny cartoon or something at times. Yeah. So this group, this art collective wants to murder whoever shows up to the murder party as a piece of art to get a potential grant from this real douchey dude, Alexander, right. Who brings, who, when he shows up, brings his uh, drug dealer who also works at his parents' pierogi shop, Zyko, and his dog. And that already is just great, you know? So Yes. I love that. And there's a great detail later when they're all on the truth serum on the barbiturates and they ask Zyko how he likes being a drug dealer. And he says that he loves being a drug dealer. The only problem is the pierogies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is funny. I like that he called back the pierogies too. So, um, and then, you know, so they're all just trying to impress this guy. There's some really funny stuff of like, well, let's get some food. Well, what kind of food? I could go for, you know, burgers. Do you want burgers? Now, what about pancakes? You know, just weird stuff while this dude is just tied up and just like hanging out and, you know, the truth serum stuff that you mentioned. I also thought that was really funny that Chris decided to participate by revealing a secret about himself to 
the group for no apparent reason. And it's a horrible sequence that he he shat himself on an elevator once. And uh, and then he, you know, when he got out, everyone, you know, he had to walk past like a whole, was it a convention, a weird convention? Of yeah, people? some kind of convention because he was at a, a hotel for a wedding. And so, but I think that also in a weird way shows his character that he's this lonely guy. And even though these people have kidnapped him and tied him up and plan to murder him, he just wants to share a detail of his life with people who will listen to him. Right. Until he, he's honest with himself that one point where if he gets killed, no one's going to care and, you know, life will go on. But yeah, I agree. I mean, I think your assessment's fair. Does drag a little. Again, it's all basically in one room for all of act two. And then it gets heightened at this art installation in act three, which I think is pretty effective. But yeah, I mean, I, there's not really much else to talk about plot wise. Cause that's the whole thing. Right. There's not, it's, it's a very basic plot. And I think that's part of the problem is that it, it maybe struggles at times to figure out new ways to keep the plot going so that the movie can continue. But once it does the stuff that, that, goes on and the interaction among the characters is funny. And I think in that third act, when he escapes and he runs into the warehouse nearby where this art installation is going on, there's some good callbacks and it's being run by the guy who they mentioned earlier as the, the other party that they could have gone to. Cicero. Um, Cicero, exactly. Yes. And, and, and he also wants to get a grant from Alexander, who of course we learn is not able to give anyone a grant and is completely making stuff up. And including he's also his name. Yeah. right, including his name. And he is the he is planning to murder everyone for whatever reason. So yeah. yeah, I think this movie is clever. And I like, I mean, you mentioned the the way that he uses the camera, and I think this is a well-directed movie, but it's also a well-written movie with those callbacks. And I love just the 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 sort of different kinds of insults. I, I love that for whatever reason, the one insult they always use is to call someone a dildo. And yeah, it comes I up like over and too. over again. You know? As as someone who calls people dildo, I, I like that as well. Yeah. <laughs> and just that underplay, like, oh, let's murder this dildo. You know, yeah. it's 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 funny because it's just and I feel like he makes it funnier by repeating it, where the first time you think, why are they saying this? And then after they say it like five more times, it's just part of the humor. Yeah. So I like that. One thing I really liked is, you know, Alexander, who's so skeezy um, and is just a fraud on every level, right? You know, um, at first he has sex with the Lexi character. And, you know, uh, this like just breaks Macon's heart, you know, who's clearly been in love with her forever. And then, you know, just a few minutes later, in the same exact position, he has sex with the Paul character. And right. uh, I thought that was really funny. And Dave, a nice little uh, homage to the gay sex scene in uh, Wet Hot American Summer. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, and that, again, is like it builds because during the truth serum scene, Paul has revealed that he's bisexual. And then Alexander immediately takes advantage of this new information. By having sex with him. And despite having sex with both of these people, he still plans to murder them and also completely disrespects their artistic abilities. Yeah, he like everyone likes the one guy they want to kick out. Billy, was that his name? Bill? Bill, right? yes. No. The one the one who's dressed as uh, one of the characters from the Warriors. Yeah, right. No, I do like, and, and what you're saying, the build, is like you can see that Macon is just obsessed with Lexi and she just like has no interest in him at all. And then the fact that Alexander basically has sex with her in front of him, you know, sets off a nice chain of events for the character as well. Right. And I think one of these reviews mentioned that they thought the characters kind of ran together, but I didn't see it that way. And I felt like even though we don't, 
There's not a lot of character development or background that he fills in a lot of those little details, like you said, along the way, where you really get a sense of this, that that Macon is completely in love with Lexi and the way that they're all vying for this grant. And there's a one moment where Lexi talks about the idea that she can't enjoy art anymore because she hates everything that's good because it just reminds her that her own art is not good enough. And I feel like that's a very recognizable feeling to anybody who is creative. So in the midst of this really goofy slapstick murder movie, he has some insight about creativity. That's fair. Uh, What's worse, Josh, as as a, I can tell you as a comedian, one one time I got off stage and I felt really good about myself. And then I took an Uber over to a uh, theater to see Chris Rock. And then I immediately felt really bad about myself. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, all that stuff. I mean, look, we, we it's just a fun movie. It's, you know, it's not going to blow your mind uh, as far as technical merit or writing or this or that. But It's super fun. And that's great. That is great. And I think you're right. It's not going to blow your mind. But I think those aspects for the limited resources that were available are pretty strong. You know, if they just had like, hey, we got this warehouse and we can shoot in the warehouse. They made the most of it, certainly on that level. And uh, much like Chris making his own homemade night costume out of cardboard, they uh, did the best with what they have. And I also love, again, watching the credits. uh, creation of the cardboard knight costume is credited to Chris Sharp, the actor. That's good. You know, it's a good way to get into your character. I mean, is it De Niro putting on 60 pounds for Raging Bull? No, but he made his costume and that's good. So, um, hey, Josh, one fun thing I read is, you know, we talked about this uh, lab of madness and how long they had been making films together. Their their first movie uh, that they made was in sixth grade and it was called Megacop. That sounds... Brilliant. I wonder if that's available or if it's like the, uh, in our Close Encounters episode, we talked about Steven Spielberg's teenage work that sadly has been lost. Yeah, it would be, I I know I was making videos in, and you were too, right? Like fourth, fifth grade and stuff. And I, I would probably be pretty embarrassed to watch that stuff now. Yeah, I don't know about back back then. I have some, uh, maybe not videos, but some other, uh, I used to do a fake radio show with some friends that I think I still have on cassette somewhere that I'm sure is extremely embarrassing. Um, nice. But... If we get three Patreons, no, I'm <laughs> we'll go. put that out as a bonus episode. But uh, one one question I have for you guys that's not related to this film, since we are doing Halloween episodes, do you have a favorite Halloween costume from your past? Oh, man, I was always terrible with, I'm very uncreative with the Halloween costumes. I, and I think I dressed as Freddy Krueger. That was probably kind of cool. I, I had... To dress as Freddy Krueger, this is how uncreative it is. I think my mom just bought me the like official merchandise of the Freddy Krueger glove and I wore that, but I kept nice. it for years and it was kind of cool to just wear around the house. So, I think my best was uh, D. Snyder. Oh, I, that's I, a good I made, one. I made a good D. Snyder. You yeah. didn't even re- have to do anything to your hair. I, right. I remember I remember Dave when you dressed as um this not when you were a kid, of course, but when like recent <laughs> years when you dressed as Steven Seagal, and I thought that was an extremely effective, entertaining costume. Uh, that's thank good. you. That's thank good. You. I'll mention two real <laughs> fast that I liked from my past, Josh. One sure. uh, one that I could not do today, which was when I was in college, I went as Pikachu, but I got the eight-year-old Pikachu costume and I I squeezed oh. into it. And uh, I think I would probably be arrested today if I did that, you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> and the other Josh, as you might recall, was my James Lipton costume, which was just a man in a somewhat bland suit with blue note cards. And whoever I saw that evening, I would go around and ask him questions from the note cards. Yeah, I like that. A, Jason, you, I think I feel like I'm I'm f by far the loser here because Jason and Dave are much more creative with their Halloween costumes <laughs> and might fit in better at the murder party with the uh, with the whole uh, art crew. I mean, I didn't you go as like a cameraman from the real world or something one year? Or so wasn't that like an idea of yours? I don't know. There was not that I recall. I one year went as an extremely tasteless costume right after Elliot Smith died. I went as. Uh, Elliot Smith having committed suicide, but it was a really half-assed costume that didn't make any sense. Yeah, so, I it was just about being tasteless, and it was—I'm not proud of it. I did the same thing that year, and I credit you for influencing. It was your oh, idea. Yeah. I think my costume was a little better, but it was your idea. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that that's the one idea of mine. That's, <laughs> you know, gone out into the world and really had an impact. Um, I, I I do like the costume to bring it back to the movie. We have, as mentioned, Bill as one of the, the baseball furies from the Warriors and uh, Lexi, the character she's dressed as Pris from Blade Runner. And one of the amusing bits is that Paul has a decent vampire costume. He kind of looks like one of the characters from What We Do in the Shadows now. But uh, when Alexander shows up with his extremely half-assed vampire costume, which basically just involves a necklace, he forces at gunpoint Paul to take off his vampire costume because Alexander cannot be upstaged by anyone. And I thought that was, was a good detail there. How about Macon's uh, costume, perhaps in the third act, what it becomes and everything? You want to talk about that a little? Yeah, and that's another, I think, amusing bit when we're talking about the way that he uses the camera and he uses editing for jokes is that Macon is wearing this plastic werewolf mask and he goes outside to smoke and for some reason decides to put the cigarette through his mask and light it up. And we don't see what happens, but we then later uh, hear him yelling that he is of course now on fire. Um, and uh, and there's a great bit, Lexi grabs some, some uh, fire extinguisher and runs out. And again, we don't quite see, but she runs back in because the fire extinguisher hasn't worked. And she and the, uh, the random art assistant who shows up have to grab these other fire extinguishers. And so it's a very funny, again, it's a, it's a very slapsticky thing. And this guy is on fire, which is, you know, bad, but it's it's presented in this kind of goofy slapstick way. And then he survives, but he's horrifically burned. And he's then almost looks like more like a werewolf in a way as he's running. Because after. part of the mask has burned into his beyond his flesh. He's, you know, burned beyond recognition. And so the teeth are there. So he does look more like a werewolf now. Yeah. And it's another example of this horrific kind of violence and the consequences of that, that, that Sonia would, would use in a more serious way in his later films, but it's, it's played here for laughs, although it is kind of sad. And as, as we mentioned, he's in love with this woman who doesn't return his affections. And then he sets himself on fire, uh, then falls off a building. I think yeah. The, the While carrying a chainsaw to kill, to kill Bill, who killed the woman he loves. So. Yeah. So not a, not a happy day for Macon all around. It seems like that character in general is always like getting the short end of the stick. Right. So that you could, you could see that as an apt ending for him. Yes. Well, all of these people are kind of, I mean, even though they're these pretentious artists, they're clearly like the losers of the art scene and uh, none of them are really going anywhere. Uh, with their yeah, art. they're probably in an art program at a community college. You bunch oh, of losers at community college. <laughs> such a burn. Yeah, my such mom went to community college. I don't mean anything 
Not burn on Jason's harm. mom. No, community. You know, go to any college, guys. Get an education. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, so uh, do we want to rate this one? Should we should we rate it out of smash jack-o'-lanterns like last time? No, an- Josh, no? Oh, it has oh. nothing to do with this film, except it It's does- one of the first things in the movie. It's so funny and so unnecessary. Yeah, so uh, how about we just rate it out of uh, three invitations to a murder party? Or All five right. invitations. And yeah. I just gave up my um, my answer, which is three. I gave it three invitations to the murder party. I'm going to give it three as well, but a very affectionate three out of five. So, uh, Dave, what were your what were your thoughts on this one? I'm going to give it a two and a half, although I will say I didn't love Green Room the first time I saw it. And I don't do this often, but I went back and saw it again and ended up loving it. And you guys kind of made me want to rewatch this. I, I, I'm liking it more during this conversation as as we go through it. All right. All right. Well, it's, it's certainly not as good as Green Room, which is great. I yeah, know why for you sure. Love that right away. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I'm glad you love it now. Exactly. So we'll talk about Green Room and more of the legacy of Murder Party when we come right back. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year in this special Halloween uh, 2007 episode. What year is it? I don't know. Um, We've been talking about Jeremy Sonier's. It's not 2007 right now. It doesn't matter. It's all the days are the same, Josh. That is so true. We've been talking about Jeremy Sonier's debut feature, Murder Party, and the legacy, like this movie itself doesn't necessarily have that much of a legacy, which as we talked about is kind of disappointing because I feel like more people should discover it. But the main legacy here is Sonier and the career that he went on to have after this movie didn't really make much of an impact. He had some time away. And he came back with Blue Ruin, which was another movie that was made for very little money and with minimal resources, but more resources than this movie. And that movie did exactly, I think, what they would have wanted this movie to do in that it became a huge festival sensation. It garnered tons of acclaim, eventually got a wider audience and and put him on the path to make bigger movies. And it is great, Blue Ruin. I remember seeing that movie at a festival at AFI Fest, really knowing nothing about it. And just walking in, it's like, this is the movie that's playing right now. I'm going to check it out. It's it's a thriller of some kind. And being just blown away by the brilliance of that movie. And Jason, you just went and saw some of these films? I watched uh, Blue Ruin and I watched Green Room this weekend. So I haven't seen Hold the Dark yet. But uh, I, uh, what, what's your favorite of his, Josh? Is it Blue I Ruin? Mean, I think Blue Ruin is still my favorite. But I think Green Room is great. And Hold the Dark, I think, is quite good. It's not as good but it's definitely worth seeing so did you like those watching them i liked i like both of them and you know something that i really liked about those two uh they're both around an hour and a half and it shows that you can make a really effective compact movie still right green room i liked more um stylistically i thought just he really nailed it and it just worked for me and that is a uh, movie about a uh touring band who has no money and they go play a show for neo-Nazis and um, shockingly bad things happen. (laughs) So, um, but yeah, no, both of them, both of them were really good, Josh. Yeah, they're both. And I think, I think we, we talked a little bit in our trick or treat episode about this and the experience of discovering something at a festival with an audience there that I think that's kind of the experience that I had with Blue Ruin, that it was so exciting. And I've seen it probably a couple of times since then because I've I've written about it or it was, I think it might've been my number one movie of the year on my top 10 list for the year that it came out. And I, I revisited 2013, it I think. Yeah, I think that's right. So, but, and I think it holds up really well. And I really, but that experience of watching it that first time 
was just really, really cool. And and listening to Jeremy Sonier talk about it, of course, at a festival, he was there. And that was a movie that they also made with limited resources. And he talked about shooting it at friends' houses and and writing the script around the locations that were available to him. And that Yeah, kind of I love I love that. And it's wild, man. It's a wild plot that um about uh I mean I, I, two families that just keep murdering members of one another's family because of a, a long ago affair between the dad of one and the mom of the other, correct? Yeah. And I think it's about, it's about kind of the cycle of violence and about the, the inevitability of revenge being so hollow and pointless, but they can't bring themselves to just give it up, even though it would be better for everyone and they would all mm -hmm. remain alive, but they have to hold out until the bitter end. Um, and Ma Macon Blair, who of course is in Murder Party and is Jeremy Sonier's childhood friend, um, is the star of Blue Ruin and is fantastic in that movie. And he's continued to work with Sonier. He's in Green Room. He wrote Hold the Dark and is also a writer and director on his own. Um, I don't know, Jason, have you seen I Don't Feel at Home in This World yeah, anymore? Yeah, it's a good movie. It's uh, yeah. Elijah Wood and Melanie Linsky and again, has a real distinct voice to it. And um Re and watching these Sonya movies, obviously I'm going to end up watching Hold the Dark, but I am going to rewatch. Um, I don't feel at home in this world anymore, um, which uh, might have been a reference to an old kind of a song from the 1800s, if I'm not mistaken. Could be, yeah, I'm not sure about that, but I do like that movie, and I think even though it has a lot in common with Sonya's movies, I do think it also has its own distinctive voice. It's got yeah. a lot of very, very Coen Brothers-esque stuff going on there. So both of them, I think, very, very talented. And it's cool, you know, you have these childhood friends who are making movies together as kids that they can both go on and be successful filmmakers in their own right. You know, that's cool to see. And, and this whole collective, I mean, uh, as, as, as I said a few times, most of the actors in this movie haven't gone on to have careers. If they've done anything, it's just been in a, appearing in other Sony movies or appearing in Make and Blair movies. The one actor who, I don't know if he was actually a, a childhood friend, but, uh, Bill Tangrati, who plays Zyko, the, uh, the pierogi, uh, cooking drug dealer. Um, he's a working actor in a lot of TV and stuff like that. But for the most part, they didn't really go on to do any of that stuff, but also, the composers on this film, uh, Brooke Blair and Will Blair, who are Macon Blair's brothers, have gone on to be very prolific composers for a variety of indie films, um, including, of course, Sonier films. So a whole, like, again, the idea that these people were just all friends and let's make a movie, and then that is able to get them all, or at least a lot of them, these careers. We love that, and uh, I have sadly failed at that myself. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Sonia. What do you know about Rebel Ridge, the movie he's got in development? Anything? I, I don't know, but I mean, all I know is that I'm I'm really eager to see it uh, because I'd love to see anything that he he does. I know he also worked on the third season of True Detective. Sure, he which, did two right. two episodes on that. Yeah, and that he was initially supposed to do more, and I think he had some creative differences with Nick Pizzolatto, the creator, and ended up leaving after only two episodes. So I'm not sure if his stamp is on those episodes at all. I'm not a fan of True Detective, so I haven't watched those. Uh, the third season's definitely, I mean, the first season's brilliant. The second season's a big letdown. The third season's good. I don't think, like... I mean, I've watched the third season. There's nothing in my mind where I'm like, oh, this feels Sonya-esque. Right. And mm -hmm. I think maybe that was part of the problem that he wasn't able to have the input on it that maybe he had hoped to have or wanted to have. And that's why he left. But I'm I'm eager to see 
whatever he does uh, at Rebel Ridge, I think is that an original story or is it an adaptation? Because Hold the Dark, I think, is an adaptation of a novel. From what I understand, it's like an original story, but it involves like comedic and violent looks at American history. I'm all for that. I'm all for that. And I know Macon Blair is doing a remake of the Toxic Avenger that he's writing and directing. Whoa. That is something. I feel like, I mean, I don't know. This is one of these things that's in development and it may not ever happen. And I don't think they've cast, but I feel like Macon Blair also would be perfect to play the Toxic Avenger. I think so. That would be fun. <laughs> so, I, can I, see don't, that. I don't know that he'll do that, but uh, that's certainly an interesting thing going on. So uh, Dave, do you have a favorite Sonier? I mean, I love Green Room. I think it's just, it really, I don't know what I didn't see the first time. I loved it the second time and I've seen it a couple more times since then. It's just so good. I just watched Blue Ruin this morning for the first time and thought it was also great. And Hold the Dark is great too. I also yeah. want to, on uh, Green Room, it's it's sad now, but I, I want to say, I think that's one of Anton Yelchin's best performances. And, you know. Oh, he's great. Yeah, it's sad because he, he died tragically, but uh that that if you want to see him at his best, that's the, that's probably the movie to watch. Yeah, he is. He's great in that. And I mean, there's lots of Patrick Stewart is clearly having so much fun in that movie as that neo-Nazi villain. Sonia is able to get great performances. And I think we see that even in Murder Party, where, again, he's working with people who aren't professional actors, but he casts them in exactly the right parts and he knows exactly what they can do. And he gets these great performances out of them. Definitely a filmmaker to watch. You know, I'm not saying he's Rob Reiner, but let's see what happens. <laughs> Rob Reiner, awesome movie years, favorite director. Yeah, official, oh, the official filmmaker of awesome movie years. So, so, so true. <laughs> um, so that is Murder Party. And that is this episode of Awesome Movie Year. You can follow us on social media. You can follow us on social media, Josh. We're at awesomemovieyear.com. Awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram. Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter. I'm at Jason Harris Comedy on Facebook and Instagram. Jay Harris Comedy on Twitter. And goforjason.com, my website that needs to have its own murder party. <laughs> <laughs> and mine probably does too at joshbellhateseverything.com. But uh, more stuff on Facebook at Josh Bell Hates Everything and on Twitter at Signal Bleed. And you can listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. Check out Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on social media at PiecingPod. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where I'm sure we'll be talking about a whole bunch of other Halloween movies uh, coming up for Halloween. Of course. And uh, we also have the By David Rosen Patreon, which you can sign up for with some bonus material from Dave, uh, from his music, from Piecing It Together. Uh, as well as some stuff from Awesome Movie Year, including a couple of episodes from our 1996 season that, Jason, we're about to make available to other people. Yeah, we're going to put them on there to show you some of the quality stuff you can find on the Patreon. 96, two of our most requested movies were Space Jam, and not just because of the brilliance of SpaceJam.com, and... Christopher Guest waiting for Guffman, a, a true delight of a film. We we did episodes on them both. We put them on the Patreon, but we actually want people to hear them, so we're going to release them on this feed. <laughs> and after those, we make available to all of our listeners. We've got our sixth season coming up. So, Jason, what is in our season premiere? It's 1984, Josh, the box office champ, and a film... I haven't seen in a very long time, if I've ever seen it completely, I don't even remember, Eddie Murphy 
and Beverly Hills Cop. So tune in for Beverly Hills Cop, and thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. An All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.